Welcome to the Bruce Siski Show. Follow the Bruce Siski Show on Twitter to interact anytime. Got something on your mind? You can text Bruce during the show by using the short code 84454. You're listening to the Bruce Siski Show on 610 and FM 103.9 KDAL. 1011, it's Tuesday morning, first day of August 2023. Bruce Siski show on KDAL. Plenty to get to on baseball trade deadline day. We'll do that as we go on through the hour. Start off with some hockey, though. And, you know, dog days of summer. No better time to talk hockey as we catch up this morning with the former two year captain at UMD, now a member of the Philadelphia Flyers, Noah Cates. Good morning. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for doing this. How's your summer been so far? Uh, it's been great. It's been busy, but, um, you know, kind of rested and recharging and getting ready to go for next season. Uh, anything special that you've been able to accomplish here this summer? Uh, yeah, so I went over to Italy, um, got engaged to my, my girlfriend, and um, also signed a contract. So it's been a, been a pretty busy uh, summer, but it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Congrats on the engagement. Uh, Italy, was that, was that a bucket list thing for you? How did that come about? Uh, yeah, she had an exchange student in high school, and um, we had plans to go over there when but COVID hit, so uh, it's been a long time coming for us to get over there, and um, the proposal kind of lined up perfectly with, with heading over there. That's beautiful. That's awesome. That's great news. Uh, let's talk about the hockey side of things. Uh, rookie year with the Flyers, and I know the the uh, the results in the, in the season for the Flyers, not what we're used to seeing from the Philadelphia Flyers. You got to play in all 82 this past year. You drew rave reviews from John Tortorelli, your head coach. What were your thoughts on your rookie season? Um, yeah, obviously very thankful for, you know, all the opportunities I got from, you know, management and the coaches and, um, you know, all the confidence that, you know, some of the older players gave me and, you know, their guidance and leadership. So um, all around just an amazing year, you know, learning from the older guys, you know, getting to know some of the younger guys and, you know, calling them some of my some of my best friends so uh, I definitely think we're building something in Philadelphia and I'm obviously really looking forward to the future with with those guys. Before last season you got the 16 games after you signed uh, following the 21-22 college season. How valuable were those 16 games in in kind of giving you an opportunity to learn the ropes and and what life was like in the NHL? Yeah it was huge you know seeing seeing the travel getting about it was just over a month of you know, the lifestyle, the games, the, the travel. So, um, obviously, you know, kind of seeing seeing what it takes and, and uh, you know, how you need to prepare and all those things and, you know, putting up some, some points and some goals, you know, made me realize that I can play at that level and um, just kind of expedited the process of, you know, having that confidence that I can play at that level. So, um, you know, that month, that month was huge for me and, you know, kind of leading up to my full rookie season and kind of where I'm at now. Visiting with Philadelphia Flyers forward to your UMD captain, Noah Cates, off a rookie campaign. This is how you get votes with the Selkie, votes with the Calder. And, and you know, we talked about the, you talked about the confidence that, that the coaches showed in you. Was that immediate when, when you guys got together last fall? Was it something that, that you, you felt like going in you were going to have an opportunity? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I wanted to give myself the best chance going into camp. And, um, you know, I thought it started with those 16 games and then. You know, went out to Philadelphia early for training camp and, you know, had a really good camp, a strong camp. And, um, you know, some things kind of moved around and 
they tried to give me a look at center and um, obviously it was a little bit different than what I was used to but um, just kind of the opportunity they gave me they gave me some rope and you know some of the older guys were really really helpful with you know giving me confidence you know telling me I can you know play at this level and you know whether well, it's helping me with face-offs or, or different little things in the D zone uh, kind of all added up and took me you know 20 30 games to you know feel really comfortable at in the league and at my position but uh, kind of from then I felt I felt really good and uh, you know felt like I took some strides you at you spent a year at center at UMD and and so when, when John Tortorella tells you I want you to play center you know is is you're going through things in your mind what's the number one thing at that point when you found out you're going to play center in the NHL what was the number one thing you felt like you needed to work on almost immediately um yeah obviously I went went back to that you know my junior year where I played um mostly center and um obviously felt like maybe wasn't my best year of college um whether it was COVID or you know moving to center but um, you know, obviously things happen for a reason. I, I truly believe that happened for a reason and, you know, helped me go back to, to UMD for my senior year. But uh, I think the biggest thing was just kind of the, the focus and defensive um, responsibilities as well as skating, um, you know, being able to get up and down the ice to, you know, help out defensively but also try to chip in offensively. So, um, you know, hearing that, I, you know, I really focused in on, you know, my skating and, um, you know, conserving my energy or being smart as, as the F3 because so many guys in this league can make you pay. So, um, you know, really, really conservative kind of offensively. But if I saw an opportunity, I knew I had to make the most of it. So I think that was kind of the biggest thing when I when I heard that from Coach. And um, like I said, took, took a few games, took some, you know, hard lessons. But, um, you know, you got to learn quickly in this league and, and be coachable. And I thank the coaches and, like I said, the older guys so much for, you know, helping me out and giving me the confidence I needed to – do what I did. For some really weird reason, I found myself watching a bunch of Flyers games last year. I can't quite put my finger on why. It might have been related to the fact you were on the team. But in doing that, in, in, in reading about the Flyers and, and reading what Tortorella was having to say about you specifically, he said multiple times over the course of the season that he feels like there is more offense in your game than what we had seen so far from your game. What do you think is the biggest key to unlocking that offense and, and, and showing a little more of that offense of potential that everyone seems to think you have? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously a lot goes into it. Um, you know, your line mates and, and the opportunities of power player penalty kill. Um, you know, I'm, I'm obviously happy, um, you know, defending hard and, and doing that and keeping the fuck out of, out of my net, but um, I think there is more there, and um, kind of like I said, the, the speed and, and uh, endurance that you need to play with, uh, you know, to contribute up and down the ice offensively and defensively is it's huge, especially at the center position. So, um, you know, I've been working on that this summer. And, um, you know, also just not being afraid and trusting my teammates that if I do, you know, hop up that, you know, we got guys back. So um, I think those kind of things and, you know, just getting more chemistry with your with your line mates and teammates. And um, like I said, the confidence, um, you know, kind of that I do have that rope from the coaches and my teammates uh, to help me out. You played all 82 as a rookie, which is a lot easier said than done. I can promise you that. And for you, was there a point we hear all the time in every sport, it seems like, because college seasons are shorter than pro seasons. We hear about the rookie wall. Did you feel at any point like you were hitting a rookie wall, or did you feel good throughout the 82? Um, yeah, you know, I think there's definitely uh, more mental walls and physical walls um, kind of playing that many games, but um, – I think the biggest thing is just kind of the focus, uh, taking
taking care of yourself on, you know, the, the days off. I think the coaches did a good, good job of getting us, you know, plenty of off days. But when we, you know, when we were at work and, and skating, we were, we were going pretty hard. So, um, you know, it's just focusing on yourself, taking care of yourself. And, um, you know, obviously this is kind of something you dream of your entire life. And, um, you know, the season goes by pretty quickly. So it just comes down to focus for me and, and uh, you know, realizing how special of an opportunity that I had this year and not wanting to, you know, waste any games. If there's ice available, pretty good chance you're going to be on it. I, I I know that was something else that was brought up is, you know, morning skates and and you know those days off and and that whole bit. What is your philosophy on that? In terms of how important is it for you in terms of your mental, your physical preparation to get on the ice the morning of a game? Um, yeah, something I like to do. Um, I think as a rookie, you know, you you kind of should do it and. And kind of those little things towards was, you know, good about being even with everyone and not making rookies do anything differently. So um, I guess that was a little different than, um, you know, what I'm used to and what I've heard. But um, I still think it's just kind of a part of, you know, the game day process, getting on the ice in the morning, um, you know, whether it's killing some time or um, if, you're on, if you're on the road, just kind of seeing the away rink and different bounces or kind of different things like that is what I like to do. So. Um, I just think it's part of the process on that day, and um, if you feel good and and you can uh, you know get those touches in, um, kind of gives you the confidence for when you get out there um, later on in, in the night. Visiting the Philadelphia Flyers no, uh, forward Noah Cates, uh, a tremendous rookie season to sign a two-year deal to stay in Philly. Former UMD captain, two-year captain at UMD, part of a four-year run with the Bulldogs. What did you know about John Tortorella when he took the job, and what was it like playing for him in year one? Oh uh, yeah, I knew I knew he was a tough coach. Um, knew he had a hard training camp and and demanded a lot from his players and and different things like that. So, um, you know, I was obviously excited. I've had some tough coaches in my in my past, um, you know, with, with Wilkie in, in Omaha and Scott Sandlin up at UMD. So they, they demand a lot, but they're they're fair. And, um, you know, you'll get an opportunity if you, if you work hard and do things the right way. So that was kind of the biggest thing that I, you know, was looking forward to and needed in my rookie year. And I'm just really glad everything worked out. What was the message for, for you going into the offseason? You know, obviously, again, a very strong rookie season. You did a lot of things that were really good. And I got to think the coaches were thrilled, but what did they, what did they tell you going into the offseason at the exit meeting that whole bit? Uh, yeah, some, some things with face-offs. It wasn't uh, one of the stronger parts of my game, just working on that, um, you know, finishing, and I think kind of just being ready for any situation. We got some – you know, older guys coming back into the lineup. Uh, Sean Couturier, who's who's a top center in this league. So, um, you know, whether I'm at center or wing, I think uh, one of the biggest things is just being coachable, being flexible, and, uh, you know, just kind of if you go out there being smart and being willing to play any position, um, especially at, at that level, things change so quickly. So um, kind of going in there with a, a free mind and um, just kind of the confidence that I can play at that level and produce at that level again. We've all watched the NHL for a long time, and if we have, we've seen the Flyers at their apex. We've seen the Flyers fans at their apex. What's it like playing? Granted, the year, again, not what you guys were hoping to be able to do on the ice, but what's it like playing in that building in front of that crowd in Philadelphia? Oh, yeah, it's an absolute treat there. They're great up there or down there in in Philadelphia. and um, Yeah, really good fans, really good support. Obviously, they, they can be tough on you sometimes, but um, you kind of got to love that, and I just can't wait till this team has some success and, you know, we get to the playoffs to, to see how they are. Um, it's obviously 
obviously what you dream of and um, you know in a city like Philadelphia with, with their passion I think I think it's going to be one of the best things ever so um, you know really looking forward to that really thankful for their support uh, this past year and looking forward to four years of it. I'm going to eliminate Minnesota because you're from here so it doesn't count but uh, favorite of the places you got to go this past year because you went to all of them what are there any, a couple maybe that stand out as, as, as the best you got the the best atmospheres the best crowds the best cities you got to play in um yeah I got a few I'd say Vegas Montreal and then Tampa and Carolina were were kind of some sneaky really loud fun buildings so um, I'd give those four the the top of the list. Did Tampa fans get a bad rep because we, my kid and I were down there for a game in 21. I said, this crowd is smarter than people act like it is. It, it, it does feel yeah. like that. They've, pretty, they've established themselves pretty well down there in, in Florida. Yeah, they have. Obviously, a couple of cup runs will do that, but yeah, uh, yeah another great atmosphere down there. All right. Enjoy the rest of your summer, man. Appreciate this as always, and uh, we'll be watching again this fall with you and the Flyers. Awesome. Thanks, Bruce. Go right. dogs. You got it. Noah Cates, former two-year captain at UMD. Always good to check in with the former Bulldogs. And, and now a two-year deal to stay with the Philadelphia Flyers and thought we'd catch up with him this morning. It was a tremendous conversation. And, you know, the, the thing with, with, with watching him last season, and I go back to September and, and following training camp, and uh, even w- when, when Torts got hired, I said, this is, to me, the way John Tortorella coaches – is a good fit for Noah Cates because of what he said. You know, he's played for hard, these kind of kind of harder line coaches, tougher coaches, guys that are demanding of their players, but they're also fair with their players. And, and I'm glad that he he brought that point up when I asked him because that was the thought that I had was that he is going to flourish playing for John Tortorella. And so far, so good on that. And hopefully, it continues that way for him. And the, the Flyers can getting a bit of an upward trajectory here going into 2023-24. Looking forward to watching that throughout the fall and the winter. Uh, one more hockey note. We had Joe Smith of The Athletic on yesterday, literally minutes after he had broken the news that Philip Gustafson was set to re-sign with the Minnesota Wild. And the goaltender has indeed re-signed. The Wild made it official right around the noon hour yesterday. Three-year deal, $11.25 million. I opined... The 3.5 the 3.75 range, he ends up on the highest end of that. $3.75 million is the average annual value. The AAV, as they say in the business, that's the cap number, how the NHL works. And Gustafson's going to be sticking around for a little bit. And this is it's important, right, because you know Marc-Andre Fleury is in the last year of his deal coming up, and there's a very good chance it's the last year he plays professional hockey. So – You've got Gustafson in the fold. Those two compete for whatever minutes that are available here in 2023-24. Hopefully they both stay healthy. Hopefully they're both good. And next year you have a decision to make. Does Jesper Volstead come in next year, hopefully having a great year, having had a great year in Iowa, or do you give him one more year in Iowa? I said this yesterday with Joe. Vladislav, Yaroslav Oskarov is the was a top 10 pick in the draft, I think ninth overall by Nashville in 2019. Volstead went first round of Minnesota in 2020. Askarov has not made his NHL debut yet. Now, that might happen this year. But the point is, 
As I said yesterday, you can never overdevelop, overseason a goaltender. So does Volstead come in next year, or do you give him one more year in Iowa? And a lot of that might depend on his performance coming up in Iowa. So we'll see, but Philip Gustafson, three-year deal, sticking around with the Minnesota Wild. 10-27, more to come. Trade deadline, we'll talk that. The Brewers getting ahead of that yesterday, but I'm not sure why they did what they did. Details to come. Bruce Siski show at 1027. Coast to coast. They're right there in front of them. They don't see them. Late nights on KDAL. 1031. It is trade deadline day. About six and a half hours from now, the deadline hits across Major League Baseball. What will the Twins do? Can they find a right-handed bat to give them a little little more balance in the lineup? Can they find maybe one or two arms to help out in the bullpen? What can the Brewers do? What have the Brewers already done? Because they made another deal yesterday. We'll break all that down coming up after CBS News. 10.32 our time on KDAL. The Bruce Siski Show. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has ruled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time, this field, this game. It's a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good and it could be again. On 610 and FM 103.9 KDAL. 1037 Tuesday morning. Great to have you with us. Tomorrow, the new assistant coach of the UMV women's hockey team, Emma Sobiek. Named on Friday to the staff, and now we're going to torture her and make her talk to me. I see how it is. No. Uh, looking forward to that conversation. She is uh, hopping down Highway 2 from Bemidji State, where she was a uh, player and then an assistant coach on Jim Scanlon's, uh, Scanlon's staff up there, now joining Maura Kroll's staff at UMD as the Bulldogs' third assistant coach in 2023-24. So Emma will be with us tomorrow on the radio show. Uh, then Thursday, Kevin Moore, Northern News Now, who posted a meme this morning indicating he'd like Anthony Edwards to play for the Boston Celtics. I'd like to be six foot three and 220 pounds. That's not going to happen either, Kevin. Uh, well, I'll catch up with Kevin on the radio show Thursday. Brandon Warren of Access Twins, the Locked On Twins podcast on Friday. Uh, by the way, uh, Anthony Edwards, uh, the reason Kevin posted that meme this morning was because Anthony Edwards is switching from number one to number five. And then apparently Kyle Anderson is switching from number five to number one. So they're trading numbers. I'm wondering if the Wolves are going to do some sort of deal where you can trade jerseys if you've got those. Uh, I got to think there's a lot of Anthony Edwards number one jerseys floating around. I don't know how that works. We'll see what the uh, the Wolves decide to do there. Uh, trade deadline day is today across Major League Baseball. I can tell you that there have not been, that I know of at least, any major moves uh, yet today. But we still do have six and a half hours before the trade deadline at 5 p.m. today. I, I, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. I, I just think the Twins are in a position where anytime you can make the playoffs and if you don't have to sell your farm to do it, you should probably do it. We don't have to go back very far to find an instance where a team had a middling regular season 
basically snuck into the playoffs and made a run. In fact, all you have to do is go back to last year. The Philadelphia Phillies were 87 and 75. They finished third in the NL East. They were 14 games out of first place. And the Phillies got hot at the right time. That's the only way to describe it. And that happens sometimes in baseball. In Atlanta in 2021 was a eh team in the regular season, got hot at the right time, and ended up winning the World Series. These things happen in baseball, and to me, if you have a chance, the whole chip chair chance thing, if you've got an opportunity to get into the postseason, you do it. And, again, as long as you don't have to sell the farm. I'm not saying that the Brewers should go out and trade Jackson Churio, their top prospect, for a rental. I, I'm not arguing that. But I uh, last year on the trade, the day of the trade deadline, the Philadelphia Phillies were 55 and 47. You wouldn't have thunk that they were going to do what they did, but they did it. And, you know, again, Atlanta the year before. So – I think you you swing you, you swing the sword, you take your shot because you don't know how many of them you're going to get. And for the Twins, the, the, the path here on deadline day is pretty – I mean, it seems simple. Obviously, it's a lot easier said than done. I understand that. But the path seems pretty simple. The Twins are the worst team in baseball when it comes to hitting left-handed pitching. They are 32nd – or 30th, sorry, I'm thinking NFL. They are 30th out of 30 teams – against left-handed pitchers and batting average, on-base percentage, and slugging percentage. And that's the issue that primarily has to be addressed here on deadline day. There aren't a lot of great right-handed bats out there. That's the bad news. The good news is there are some guys that have good platoon numbers. By platoon numbers, I mean they hit left-handers better than they hit right-handers, like markedly so. And platoon players... In the last year, their contracts that are pure rentals aren't going to cost very much. There's not. So for the Twins, there's a path where you don't have to trade your top prospects. I'm not saying trade Brooks Lee, who's lighting it up in double A. I'm not saying trade Royce Lewis, who looked really good in the majors and is going to be back from injury here in a couple of weeks. Not saying that. I'm saying you're going to trade a guy that 90% of your fan base has never heard of. And by the time that that player gets to the major leagues, that 90% of your fan base that had never heard of him is going to forget that that player was in your farm system. And if you do happen to find a way to get hot and make a run in October, no one's going to remember the player you traded to get the guy that helped spark you to the World Series or the ALCS or whatever it is, to end end the playoff losing streak, whatever it is you're destined to do. Because this division is right there for the taking. It's been all year, and it's even more now. Because yesterday, the Cleveland Guardians traded their top right-handed pitcher Aaron Savali to Tampa Bay for a minor league first baseman. So the Guardians, who are a game out of first place, 
kind of sort of waving the white flag. All the Twins have to do is put their foot on the gas. And I know it's been easier said than done. But the one constant in baseball is change. Look how quickly the Brewers went from won the season series against the Reds, beat them two out of three, game and a half up in the division, to where they sit right now, which is a game and a half behind in the division. The Reds won two out of three over the weekend in L.A. They beat the Cubs last night. The Brewers swept over the weekend in Atlanta and lost to Washington last night. All of a sudden, you go from a game and a half up to a game and a half back in a span of four days. Things can happen quickly in this game. Hopefully the Twins can find something here. Uh, And I know from talking to Brandon, just a couple of weeks ago we talked about this, in terms of that trade deadline and, and what you might want the Twins to go after, maybe one or two more bullpen arms. I have said for years you can never have enough pitching. You just don't know. But... Yeah, that's why I thought the Twins taking a flyer on Dallas Keuchel was a good idea. Let's see what his velocity's at. Turns out it's not very good. But his numbers in AAA have been tremendous. Can he come up and, and can he be a benefit in a middle relief type role? Or does he have to start games? That's a question he's got to answer. And the Twins have to answer. But he's been very good in St. Paul. I just don't think what he's done in St. Paul with his limited velocity... And he's had some command issues. I don't necessarily think it's going to translate to the major leagues. So if I were the Twins, which I'm not, I would not trade a starting pitcher today and thinking that Dallas Keuchel can step in and be you know whatever that starting pitcher you trade, take that spot in the rotation, whether it's Sonny Gray or Kenta Maeda, whoever. I don't think it's a good idea. If you think you can win with this team... I would not replace Gray or Maeda or anybody with Dallas Keuchel. If Dallas Keuchel comes up, if the Twins decide to make that move, to me, they go to a six-man rotation. It's the only way to do it. And that takes a little pressure off of Bailey Ober, who's already up near his career high for innings. It takes a little pressure off Joe Ryan, who's probably going to hit his career high for innings. It takes a little bit of heat off Pablo Lopez, who's been good here in the second half. He throws tonight in St. Louis. I, I think that's the – if there's any change to the Twins rotation, to me the change is you go to a six-man rotation. Six rotations, seven bullpen. You've got an extra arm in the rotation in case of emergency. You've got I, – I think that's the play. We'll see what they do with Dallas Keuchel, who's got an opt-out coming up in his contract, and I would assume that if the Twins don't bring him up, he's going to take the opt-out. I, I just I don't see any reason for him to, to, langu- to languish in the minor leagues. Somebody out there will take a chance on him if the Twins don't. The Brewers made one trade yesterday. Uh, they acquired veteran outfielder Mark Canna from the New York Mets for a minor league pitcher named Justin Jarvis, who I'd never never heard of before and probably won't again. Canna's 34. He is um, on the second year of a two-year, $26.5 million contract, and the Mets are picking up every dime left on his contract with the exception of the major league minimum because they can't pick the, the Brewers have to pick up part of it. 
Canada is not great. And and what I brought this up with Dave this morning. I, I don't necessarily understand. I know he's a fine defensive player and he can play multiple positions and that's great and and all that. I don't know that Mark Canna is markedly a markedly better hitter than the guys the Brewers already have at the positions that he's going to play. The exception right now is first base because of Telez being out with the injury. Once Rowdy's back, I I don't know where Mark Canna plays. Like, who do you take off the field that's not as good as this guy who's not been great this year? 725 OPS, 89 games for the Mets. He's played both corner outfield spots. He can play first base and center field as well in a pinch. I, I just don't under – and then the thing with Canna, so the Brewers, like the Twins, aren't great against lefties. Not as bad as the Twins, but they're not great. Mark Canna's a right-handed hitter, so you're thinking, well, he must hit lefties better than righties. Nope. He is one of those kind of reverse split guys. It's the same reason I questioned the Brewers for keeping Luke Voigt on the Major League roster at the start of the season. I didn't think it made sense because over his career, Luke Voigt, a right-handed hitting first baseman, has hit righties better than lefties. Canna's in the same boat. He's a righty who hits righties better than lefties. That doesn't solve anything to me. If anything, you create problems because now you got another guy who you need to find playing time for. And I don't, again, don't think he's a marked improvement. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, maybe he'll make an impact. I don't know. But on the surface, I just don't get the move because it seems like he's a redundancy on this roster. That's just me. We'll see how it all plays out as he'll make his Brewers debut as soon as tonight against the Nationals. And a Washington 7 Duluth Huskies will play in the Northwoods League. Great Plains All-Star game. That is tonight in Bismarck, North Dakota. Northwoodsleague.com has more info on that. And if you did not either stay up late or get up early, the Women's World Cup, another just odd, rather uninspiring performance for the United States. We previewed with Jeff Reuter a few weeks back, podcast it, at KDAL610.com, Jeff writes for The Athletic. He's been covering the tournament from afar. And I just don't – I don't know what the answer is here. I'm not a big believer in, even with veteran teams, you can just magically flip a switch and suddenly start playing better. There's been no sign outside of a, a maybe a 15-minute stretch of the Netherlands match. There's been really no sign that this U.S. team is on the verge of anything special in this tournament. And now they're lined up to potentially face the third-ranked team in the world, Sweden, in the round of 16. Early morning on Sunday, 5 a.m. is the scheduled start time here in the uh, central time zone. Nil-nil with Portugal, and the U.S. was lucky to get that. I don't know. Sunday morning will be interesting, no doubt about it. 10.50, wrap it up in a moment on KDAL. Your twin ports home for UMD Bulldog Hockey. Shot score! UMD! KDAL. 1059, a sunshine outside. Hopefully you get out and enjoy it. We're back at it tomorrow morning at 10. New assistant coach for the UMD women's hockey team. Emma Sobiak will be on the radio show tomorrow. We'll talk about her journey through hockey and how she found her way to Maura Kroll's coaching staff at UMD. Trade deadline wrap of the more. Sound off is next. Have a great day. This has been the Bruce Siski Show. Hit us up on Twitter at Bruce Siski Show and let us know what you think. No. Yes. No. Well.
No, I, I crossed my mind. Visit KDAL610.com to podcast today's show anytime. What'd you say? Listen to shows on demand and download for free. You can also subscribe via Spotify or your favorite podcast app. This has been the Bruce Siski Show. CBS News is up next. This is your home for the Minnesota Timberwolves. 103.9 W280 FDFM and AM 610 KDAL Duluth Superior.